This morning, uh, I have a huge challenge, as I always do every Sunday, in teaching uh, the Bible and God's Word, uh, in that as we've gone through the, uh, the truths of our life, uh, we've talked about truth about God the Father, uh, truth about God the Son, truth about God the Spirit, and I realized that for us to really kind of understand this a little bit more, I'm going to have to talk about the Trinity, uh, truth about God as three persons in one. Um, and so that's the challenge this morning, and uh, I know good and well I'm taking something very abstract um, and really beyond our comprehension, and my job is to clarify. <laughs> so i am kind of got one of those tasks that I know I can't do, um, but I do hope that you understand a little bit more about what God is doing in our life and who He is. Um, and so... As such, there's uh, several passages I'm going to look at, uh, as opposed to what we might normally do of just having one text and kind of camping and, and bringing the verses out. Uh, there's going to be a, quite a few verses I'm going to bring out. Uh, but it is based on the fact that last three weeks, I have already demonstrated or shown to you how Scripture teaches that God is God the Father, the self-existent, uh, pre-existent, eternal one, uh, in independent of all other else he is defining reality for us when he says in exodus 3 i am uh and then the last uh, two weeks ago talking about who jesus is that i've shown to you that jesus said he is god he claimed the same title i am he acted in the same way as god and then last week as we looked at the holy spirit how the bible teaches the holy spirit is also god and so i don't want to uh leave you with the conclusion that we are worshiping three gods uh, and that we have many gods to worship, and so I want to bring that to you, and at the same time being at Valentine's Day. And I, I want to show to you how uh, this celebration of love that we've got in our society could not and would not be unless we believe in something called the, tr- the Trinity. And so that's a little bit of a challenge, I know, for you. Uh, but what you believe about love whether you realize it or not, is linked to what you believe about God. And there are many who want to say they love people, but they don't really know what they believe about God. And they're living with inconsistencies. Uh, Valentine's Day, I remember being a teenager thinking, why on earth does this day exist? Um, I had someone give advice that if you're in a dating relationship, make sure you break up before Valentine's Day. Um, you know, so, you know. If some of you got uh, jilted a little bit ago, well, maybe that's part of the reason why. Um, but it actually has uh, some Christian origin. Uh, legends have it that, uh, uh, that it came from a saint, uh, what the church, the Catholic Church later regarded as a saint, Valentine. Uh, and there's actually a couple of stories that probably refer to the same, mind, uh, same person in church history. A priest in Rome during the reign of Emperor Claudius II, according to tradition, Valentine was imprisoned and beaten and beheaded on February 14th. So, let's celebrate that. Uh, So, that was done in 270 along the Flaminian Way. Um, So, how did this become a a day for uh, romance and love and flowers? Uh, Well, according to the legends that were handed down, Valentine was uh, undercut an edict of Emperor Claudius uh, in wanting to more easily recruit soldiers for his army. Claudius had uh, banned marriages and trying to weaken the family ties. So Valentine was ignoring that order 
and would secretly marry young couples in the underground church. These activities, when uncovered, led to his arrest. And there's also another story that may very well be true, uh, where he had a romantic interest of his own. Uh, while in prison, he became friends with the jailer's daughter, and being deprived of books, amused himself by cutting shapes in paper and writing notes to her. His last note arrived on the morning of his death and ended with the words, Your Valentine. Um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, but very likely it did refer to a man of which some of this was very much true. Uh, but of course then there was also some pagan holidays that was going on and the Christians ever wanting to uh, go over and not celebrate the pagan holiday. They said, well, let's make this a Valentine's Day, uh, a new uh, holiday. Uh, but he probably did not write roses are red and violets are blue. All right, so there's quite a few things that we've, we've brought on. But this whole idea of why love matters, why do we celebrate love, uh, I would argue with you that it comes from this concept of the Trinity. Now, many of our uh, folks would tell us, well, you know, this idea of the Trinity is not found, this word is not found in the Bible. And they are correct. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible. But I would say to you that the idea is very well understood throughout the New Testament and even into the Old Testament. Uh, and so just a couple passages I would bring to you and how it pertains to our salvation. Uh, one of which is found in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 14. Uh, you're going to be thumbing through a few verses today. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, talks about how the Trinity is connected to our salvation. It says, and saying, God's blessings be upon you, uh, as a typical type of farewell blessing, uh, God be with you, uh, he, Paul breaks it down and says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so from this, when we think about salvation, we have the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit, which makes our salvation complete. Uh, it's been said that the salvation is from the Trinity, by the Trinity, and for the Trinity. You could say that God the Father decreed us to be saved by His wrath, and it was done uh, through the work of Jesus Christ, and the work of Jesus Christ is applied to our life by the Holy Spirit. And so all of the Trinity is involved in our salvation. And so let's look at Matthew 28. Matthew 28, uh, verse uh, 19 and 20. We're all familiar with this, the Great Commission. Uh, our mission statement is that we are to be a greenhouse uh, for the Great Commission. Uh, but notice how it tells us to be baptized. Uh, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when he gives us this formula, it's, it's very telling that Scripture is saying these three names are equal. I'm to be baptized in the name of the Father, but not just in the Father, in the name of the Son, but not just in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, under the authority of these three. And what the Bible simply teaches is that these are three separate persons, 
eternally existent in one. All right? One God. Eternally existent in three persons. Now you're saying, okay, pastor, please explain this to us. Uh, Well, that's the challenge now, isn't it? Um, One thing that might help you to say is what it's not. What it's not. There have been uh, those throughout church history that says, well, okay, we get this. But, you know, maybe there's three different modes. Uh, Yeah, there's a God and he's come to us in different times. And in the Old Testament, he comes to us as God the Father. Well, in, in the Gospels, he comes to us as, as God the Son, and in the church age, he comes to us as God the Spirit. Three different uh, modes, uh, the, and this is a, still very prevalent uh, in some of, uh, especially the more Pentecostal circles, you will see some of this. Some of you may remember or know the group Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Um, this is where they're at, uh, and yes, we've sung uh, some of their songs, uh, but this is uh, when you look up one-ism, you'll see that it's still very T-Day, T-D, uh, T, T-Day Jakes, T, ooh, help me out, but T-D Jakes, thank you, T-D Jakes is also, this is where uh, he is at, very popular uh, preacher of the day, uh, but there, there's an understanding of where he's, what he believes is God coming as the Father, then as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit, uh, with three different modes, kind of like you're changing costumes a little bit. Um, well, let me share with you the problem with that from the scripture. Let's go to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, it talks about, you know, we've already read about this baptism uh, in Matthew 28, that we're to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Turn a page over in your book, uh, Mark chapter 1, and let's look at the baptism of Jesus, how he himself was baptized. You see this in verse 9, Mark chapter 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now just stop for a second. What's going on here? Well, Jesus is baptized, and the scripture says that the Spirit came like a dove. All right, not, did not come, a dove did not come, all right? Sometimes we think of this dove on Jesus, but it says the Spirit came like a dove. And you've got God the Father speaking, saying, this is my beloved Son, this is God the Son. How can these three happen at once? Because they exist at once. In other words, this is not three different modes. Alright? Now, I want to bring out something to you about this. A lot of times we think about this, and we think about the dove aspect of, okay, that makes sense. We, we associate with the Holy Spirit with the dove, but it's really because of Mark, and John, and Luke. But this is not something necessarily familiar prior to this. But let me share with you what what I think Mark is doing, what the writer is doing here when he uses this phrase, uh, that the Spirit came upon him like a dove. In Genesis chapter 1, when you read verse 2, it talks about how the Spirit of God uh, hovered over God's creation. And there's a translation called the Targum, all right? Let me just warn you, this is going to be like class, all right? 
I hope you have your thinking cap here because you're, you're going to be, I'm going to ask you to do that a lot. I may hopefully not assume too much. Um, but there, there's this uh, translation of the Aramaic, which is what the common language was in Jesus' day. Uh, and so this was, would have been the copy that they would have, the translation they would have looked at and read. And so in, in translating Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the word, the Hebrew word for uh, hovering is fluttered, fluttered. And so when the Targum comes and writes this, they actually have some rabbis that translate it saying that the Spirit of God fluttered like a dove when God said in his voice, let there be light, and there was light. Let the world begin. And so what I'm bringing to you is that in Mark, and how he's describing what happens at the baptism, is speaking, referring back to creation. Just as how God created this world, using God the Father, the Spirit of God, fluttering like a dove, and then the Word coming, the Word of God being used to create this world of which we learn in John 1 that the Word of God is Jesus. Just in God's trinity, creating the world, God is in a trinity recreating us. Working redemption for us. So this new creation also happens by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the question you may be asking. So, so what? All right? There's a trinity. Three persons, eternally existent, and one God. What's the big deal about that? Well, let me just uh, pretend like, what if it wasn't a trinity? What if it was one God? All right? One person. Uh, what we call a uniperson, uh, that, uh, that happened. All right, so if that's happening, uh, there is no God the Son. There's just God, eternally existent. Love becomes secondary. Love becomes secondary. See, for love to happen, there has to be an object of love. Is, is that correct? There has to be another person for there to be love. If there is no other person, then the primary characteristic of God is power, greatness, all right? So remember, I said to you in, in three weeks ago, when God said, I am, he becomes the prime reality, the ultimate reality of which everything else becomes dependent on the ultimate reality of God. If the ultimate reality is power and God's greatness and not love, then it produces a world of absolute morals. So let me present to you Islam. Islam. Do not believe in Jesus as God. They believe there is one God, and his, his absolute essential quality is power and greatness. So someone tell me, those of you who are up on uh, terrorist attacks, what is the rephrase? What is the, the refrain that goes out? Allah, Allah Akbar, which means God is great. God is great. So there is an absolutism uh, that forms that society. Now, let's, let's pretend like uh, there is no God. All right? Secularism. There is no 
God. What does it mean if, if God no longer becomes the prime reality, there are no absolutes, and so everything is relative, right? So love then becomes a product of chemistry, right? That, and that's what strict biologists, bio, biologists would tell us, that love is nothing more than chemical reactions that we're just kind of firing off of one another so that we can make sure we can get the best genes to produce the offspring so that our genes can carry on. And so it's just nothing more than emotional or chemical reactions that we're, we're operating off of. Am I being far-fetched? If God is not there, it takes us to this relative, relative perspective, but also love becomes nothing more than chemical reactions. So when you mix a society, a world, where uh, a good mm, half the population does not believe in a trinity, believes in one God, absolute power, and secularism, guess what happens? It's world events today. I would argue with you that the root of world events today actually comes to what we believe about the ultimate reality, about God. So what is it when we have this three persons in one? What might that produce? Well, it's got this interesting dynamic unity of diversity that happens in our life. Uh, You know, when you have a uniperson God, one person, God, one person, then it brings out individualism. The only thing that matters is uh, the individual. If you have polytheism, all right, many gods, interesting enough, when you see polytheism, many, many, many gods, it's always done where tribes and families are the critical component of society. There's something to that. Society that emphasizes tribes usually has, at the root, polytheism, many gods, all right? What does the view of Trinity produce? Now, what we're saying here, three persons and one God eternally existence, is that before the world began, there was a love relationship that was enjoyed by one another between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So, uh, C.S. Lewis has described it as a dance that has always existed. So, what does this mean? We learn in the Scriptures, I'm going to share with you a a passage in John 17 that talks about this, how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are always glorifying one another, always deferring to one another, always making each other the center of their being. All right, so in a dance, uh, the idea is that you're constantly moving around the other person. But if there's one person or one being that says, you know, everyone else must revolve around me. Now, what if we have five people up here and they all have that same mindset? Okay, we're going to do a dance and the rules are everyone apply, uh, surrounds me. Go. <laughs> is there a dance? There's no dance. Everyone's just standing and looking at each other. Like, I'm waiting for y'all to move. And I'm waiting for you to move. And it's just going to go back and forth. Now, that is the world that we're born in. That's, that's how we're made because of our fallen nature. We think that the world revolves around us. 
So I've had a picture of you and your family up here. And you look wonderful. Just stunning. But everyone else, they're all, you know, got stuff on their teeth and you're cross-eyed. <laughs> someone's looking over here, you know. What's the first thing you look at? And the first thing you might say, that's a good picture. <laughs> doesn't matter that everyone else looks like buffoons, you know. But I look good. That, that, isn't that typical of us? How, how is that? Because we are living in a world with our mi- mindset of everyone else is revolving around us. But listen, in the Trinity, and I'm going to share some scripture that brings this out, where God the Father is revolving around God the Son. God the Son is revolving around God the Father. Father. God the Spirit is revolving around God the Father and God the Son. And it's all working around one another. And therefore, there is fullness and perfect joy. Perfect joy. How can that be? Let me ask you this question. What if there is someone that you found absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, personality just knock you off your feet, and you absolutely love them, adore them, and then you find out they feel the same way about you. All right? And it never grows old. That is what you've got between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Is this joy that happens because they share it with one another. So, if there are three persons and one God eternally existent. What does that mean for us? If this world was made that way, then the ultimate prime reality is loving relationships. Loving relationships. You following me? I'm I'm not giving you all the stories and illustrations I normally do, all right? But are you here? All right? I want to call out your name. All right? This changes everything. If God is within himself, a loving relationship that is eternally pre-existent, and he says, I am, everything else is dependent upon who I am, then the prime reality of our existence is a loving relationship. So, what does that mean for us? If you are trying to live your life and trying to find happiness and joy and to find yourself, it's not going to be found in your achievements. It's not going to be found in your financial accounts. It's not going to be found in your work resume. It's not going to be found in your pleasure. It's not going to be found in your exercise. It's not going to be found in your body. That if the ultimate reality of who God is is these loving relationships that exist between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If that is the case, then our life is found in surrendering what we think ought belong to us and giving it to someone else. Let's go to John 17. John chapter 17. It's amazing some things here that Jesus is saying.
I want you to notice when he says glorify. When we think glorify, it means to beautify, be beholden to. You love that which is beautiful, and you lift and exalt these things up. So John 17, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Who on earth says to God the Father, glorify me? That's what he's doing. Glorify your Son. Lift me up. Adore me. Be beholden to me. That the Son may glorify you. So you see the circles going, revolving around one another. I, God, will, Father, will you make me the center of your being, and I will make you the center of me of my being, and we're just going to move around. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given me, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. I've adored you. I've done what you've asked me to do for no other reason but the fact that you asked me to do it. I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now let's just stop there for a second. Um, what, what did the Father ask Jesus to do? Ultimately, he's going to ask Jesus to die on the cross. Um, when we think about the Garden of Eden, which kind of is alluded to in this creation, this trinity, uh, God asked man to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He didn't ever explain it to him. Just don't eat of the tree of knowledge. You know what we would have done? Why not? Why not? What's going to happen? God never really goes there. He just says, I'm just asking you not to do it. For no other reason, but I'm asking you to do it. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you, if you obey me in the matter of this tree, you'll have life. You see, what it means to trust God is to be able to say to God, I will obey you no matter what comes my way, even if I don't like it. And to trust God is to say, I will thank you, God, for whatever you give to me, even if I don't like it. Are you willing to sign that? I will trust God. I will obey him in everything he tells me to do, even if I don't like it. And I will thank God in everything he gives me, even if I don't like it. So here Jesus is saying, I'm doing these things. And one of those things is going to be to go to the cross. Adam, if he obeyed God in the matter of the tree, would have been given life. But Jesus, if he obeys God in the matter of this tree, the cross, he will be crushed. And yet Jesus obeyed. And then he says, so we keep on reading verse 4 and 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. All right? You getting what's going on here? Father, bring me back to that stage of adoration that has existed even before that Garden of Eden was created, before mankind was made. Bring me back to that stage. Adore me like that. All right, it's, it's about to blow your mind here. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. 
Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you've given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them, and I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. So Jesus is getting the adoration of God the Father through you, through your life. God the Father is adoring and glorifying God the Son. And so we're starting to to enter into something that's much bigger than ourselves. Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I've kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them. Not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction. The scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I'm going to tell you that's a little bit about God wanting you to share in this joy. Now go on down to verse 20. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is talking about you, specifically. I'm not just, I'm not just talking about Peter and James and John. I'm, I'm talking about those who will believe in their word. I'm, I'm talking about Merlin and Peggy and David and Jeff and Jason. I'm talking about uh, the Lindas. I'm talking about these right here. And then, then that's what he says here. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That the glory, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one okay in case you're not getting this this glory that has been eternally pre-existent going on between god the father god the son god the holy perfect love that we can only just write songs about and pretend like we enjoy that's what they know let me ask you why did god create humans did god need humans to worship him no the worship was complete and full there was no need did he need to make us so that well that we would love him did he need our love his love was perfect Listen, please don't be of those people when somebody dies, say to that grieving person, you know what, God just needed another angel. That's just not in the Bible anywhere. In fact, it's against what the Bible says. God doesn't need us to love him. So then again, the question, why did he make us? He wanted to give us something. He wanted to give us something. He created out of himself of because of who he is. He says, you know, it is my nature to give because I'm constantly giving to him. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're giving to one another. Let's just share this. Let's create 
a galaxy, a universe. Let's create within them this, this planet Earth where there will be humans that will be made in our image. And I want to give them something. What does he want to give us? Notice what he says. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them the glory that God the Son has received from God the Father since before the world began. This huge adoration of beauty that has blows our mind. He says, I want them to enter into that. You see, it's kind of like this dance that's been going on between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, of this revolving around one another, and out of it springs forth creation. And we're just kind of looking, watching all this going on because we're just focused on, well, you know, that's great, but the world revolves around me. How can I get God to do what I want in my life? And God, how is it that when bad things happen, none of these things should happen to me because after all, the world revolves around me, right? So what must I do to get you to do what I want in my life? That's called religion. All the things that we can do to get God to love us. And it's very much static. It's all about everyone else running around me. But meanwhile, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has got this dance going on. But Jesus comes in and intervenes. This is the incarnation intervening into our world where everybody's revolving around themselves. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to open up this dance. (laughs) God the Father, will you let them be one with me? Will you give them the glory that you've given to me? Would you let them enter into an eternal dance whereby they no longer see that they're so beautiful, so enamored with themselves that they can see someone more glorious and that they can enter into an eternal dance with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is eternal life, that you may know God. We have just sung praises to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But listen, I want us to, in reading this and thinking through this, know we got to love the Trinity. <laughs> because by the fact that God exists three persons in one, there is now the ultimate reality of love. So you got Mark chapter 1 and God the Father saying to God the Son, This is my beloved son. You you, you see the picture as Jesus is baptizing? Jesus is submitting to God the Father, revolving his life around God the Father, and God the Son wrapping him up with language of love. This is my beloved son. And God the Holy Spirit comes in and brings in his power. And so there's constantly shadowing of one another. It happens right there in the baptism. So when Matthew 28, 19 comes in and says, I want you to go and make disciples and make sure you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he says, bring them into this love relationship, this holy relationship, this glorious relationship where they are sharing with one another. Let them be a part of that. May they submit to God the Father. May they trust God the Father in everything that would happen to them and let them be shadowed and and uh, showered with the love of God the Father, decreeing to them, this is my beloved Son, and let them know the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. This is why there is no salvation in any other name except in Jesus Christ. 
Because he's the only one that's saying, representing God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, may I have this dance. He's the only one offering that. All the other systems are, well, you know, maybe I can get God to like me. Maybe I can impress him. Or maybe I can just deny God exists and at least be true to myself. And may the powers that be be pleased with the fact that I'm true to myself. Just another shade of pride. So what does this mean? If the ultimate reality is living in loving relationships, it comes from God the Father. Well, if we're going to enter into that, praise is huge. Praise is huge. That's what Jesus does. Uh, If we're going to enter into that, community is it's not just extra credit. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm going to be a part of a church body somewhere. And that's just like, yeah, I'm extra good. I'm a, I'm a good Christian because I'm in a church. Listen, you need to understand because God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is community. He's asked us as followers of Christ to enter into community. And there is not really the fully understanding of who God the Father happened, uh, how he works in our lives, unless it's done through community. Church. This group of people that says, I want to follow God's way out of love for God the Son and what He's done for us. I don't want to do His mission is absolutely critical in knowing who God is. But as we enter into that, praise. One of the things of prayer, you know, when we don't pray, we're just kind of communicating To God the Father, it's all about me. It's all about me. I don't really need you. And I don't want to praise you. I don't want to thank you. And we're being anti-God by not praying. It's all self-contained in my resources that I've got here. But in prayer, is to say, God, you are wonderful. Let me adore you. Let me make you the center of my being. You are absolutely, all that I, listen, do you understand that everything you hunger for in your life is really from God? And there is no satisfaction for the things you really hunger for apart from who God is. That's part of what happens when he says, I am. I am the ultimate reality and everything that I've made you in is linked with who I am. And if this is true, And God is inviting us to dance. He's inviting us to enter this relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it means we have to surrender. We have to surrender. There is no other way of walking with God but to what? Trust and obey. To be able to say, From this point on, my future, my life, is revolving around what God the Father wants me to do through God the Son and by God the Spirit. You know, we shouldn't be too surprised when Jesus says that if you really find yourself 
you must lose yourself. No one will find their life unless they lose it. Unless you take up your cross and follow me. You see how it all fits together? But let me just share with you. He's never asking you to do something that he himself is not doing. God the Father surrenders to God the Son, to God the Spirit. And God the Son to God the Father, to God the Spirit. All vice versa. And there's such a vibrant relationship between the two. Proceeds forth and gives us God the Spirit. So, it's for this reason where we've made statements in church history that says something like this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and descended into hell. To the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. The Apostles' Creed. The Nicene Creed, written about 325 A.D. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. And skipping to the south, he says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, he proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. The Nicene Creed. Friends, the Trinity is a big deal. You can't say you believe in love unless you believe in the Trinity to be consistent. So on this Valentine's Day, as we celebrate romantic love and all that it is, understand, yeah, it's part of the prime reality of all that is because it's who God is. And it's who God is because he's eternally existent in three persons in one. And what's so grand about this is he invites you into the circle for eternity. And it just blows my mind. I hope you get blown by who God is. Let's pray.